بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يحده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد فإن أحسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وإن شر الأمور محتثاتها وكل محتثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار So this is our fourth lesson the fourth lesson on the explanation of the meaning of a Muslim's declaration of faith the kalima la ilaha illallah what is the meaning of this of this statement and this word which every single messenger came with and which he conveyed to his people what is the meaning of this and so in the previous uh, lesson the, the, the third lesson uh, we looked at eight different explanations of this meaning and we explained that these from these eight explanations only one is correct and only one is the one that the prophets and messengers were sent to convey to their people as for all of the other seven we mentioned uh, seven or eight of them we mentioned the tawheed of the philosophers the people of philosophy uh, without going into all the details again we mentioned secondly the tawheed of the jahmiyyah those people who denied the names and attributes of Allah and basically they presented Tawheed with this meaning, that if you want to believe in, in one Lord, in one deity, and you want to single him out, you have to deny all of his names and attributes, so he's only one. This is a faulty understanding. So the religion revolved around this. Then, then there was the Tawheed of the Jabariyyah. These people claimed that Allah is the performer of all actions. My actions, your actions, the actions of the sinners, the actions of the uh, pagans, polytheists, you know, that Allah is the one who does those actions. And this again is incorrect. We said that Allah is the creator of the actions of the people. And the people are the doers of the actions. Right? So when someone murders someone, it is not Allah who did that act. It is the person who did the act but Allah created the act because He created the person. He created his, his body, his limbs, He gave him a mind to think, He gave him the ability to choose. So when that person chose to do that action, He is the doer, but Allah is the creator of that action. So the, the Tawheed of the Jabariyyah is a, is, is a mistake when they try to claim that there is no doer except Allah. Allah is the doer of everything. This is incorrect. Likewise, we mentioned the Tawheed of the extreme, the Sufis who claim that everything in existence is Allah. And they call this Wahdatul Wujud, the unity of existence. Nothing exists except Allah. We cannot say, according to them, that there is Allah's existence and that there, there is the creation's existence. Because now, as they wrongly claim, we have established two different existences. And this they claim is shirk with Allah. This is Nonsense, right? Because Allah Zawajal, He exists and His creation exists, and we are distinct and separate. He is distinct and separate 
from his creation. He doesn't enter into his creation, nor does his creation enter into you know Allah Zawajal, the essence of Allah Zawajal. This is this is disbelief to believe in these ideas. But this is the Tawheed of the Sufis, those who believe in Wahdatul Wujud, that all existence is one inseparable whole. There is no such concept as there is Allah and His creation. There is His creation and then Allah. Rather, everything to them is one and the same. And that's why this belief of the unity of existence is inseparably tied to the belief in the unity of religions. Right? The unity of existence is inseparably tied to the unity of religions. Why is this? It is because if you believe that everything in existence is Allah, so the tree is Allah, the wood is Allah, the the rocks are Allah, the oceans are Allah, our bodies are part and parcel of Allah, and so on and so forth. This is what they mean, that Allah is inseparable from His creation. The creation is but Allah, nothing exists except Allah. This is what they mean. This then means that no matter what you worship, you are worshipping Allah. So for example, when the mushrik, when he worships his idol, or he worships the elephant with you know, two trunks or three trunks, or the, ele- or the monkey you know, with ten hands or whatever else it is, or a person worships the elements, worships the rain, the cloud, the sun, the moon, or a person worships the, the angels or the jinn, whatever it might be. According to this belief, he is worshipping Allah. Because, as we said, Allah is everywhere and in everything. So therefore, this would mean that this person is upon a legitimate religion. He is worshipping Allah. So therefore, everyone, no matter what religion they are upon, they are worshipping the same thing. But just a different different manifestation of the same thing. Right? So this Tawheed of the Sufiya, the extreme Sufiya, Wahdatul Wujud is inseparably tied to Wahdatul Adyan, the unity of religions. And this is the greatest of disbelief, the greatest of shirk and kufr. And so for that reason, you'll see many of the, these extreme Sufis, you will see them legitimizing other religions as being, you know, different paths leading to the same, uh, leading to the same uh, destination. So this is the Tawheed of the Sufis that we discussed. Likewise, there is Tawheed of the Mu'tazila, the fifth one, where they claimed and they said wrongly that they said that if you believe in Allah and His attributes, you are now affirming multiple deities, multiple gods. And this is nonsense. Right? So if you say, for example, there's Allah and He has knowledge. There's Allah and He has wisdom. There is Allah and He has mercy. According to them, they say you have now affirmed three other gods alongside Allah. And this is falsehood. Because when you say, you know, when you say a man that is a man and he is merciful and kind and generous, he is still one man. He's still one man. And he has multiple attributes. Right? So just because a person has multiple attributes does not mean that he has now become multiple persons, multiple individuals. This is falsehood. Rather, 
uh, he's still one man, one entity, and he has basically just has he has different attributes. So this was the Tawheed of the Mu'tazila. They basically said that if you believe in Allah and His attributes, you have made Allah to be composite, to be you know to be composed of of multiple deities. And this again is falsehood. The reason why they said this is because they were influenced by the language and the concepts of the Greek philosophers. So this is not what the messengers came to call to. Likewise, there is the Tawheed of the politicians, the, the Siyasiyun. And these are people who appeared in the last century and they gave this kalima, La ilaha illallah. They said that it means, La hakima illallah. There is no ruler except Allah. And they gave this kalima a very strict, narrow, political interpretation. This you find in the books of Maududi. He is the originator of this idea. And he, he influenced Sayyid Qutb. And he then developed the idea further. And so these two men, their books and writings became the foundation of the takfiri, khariji, jihadi ideology. And so all of these groups came afterwards, the Muslim Brotherhood, and uh, you know the Jama'atul Jihad in Egypt in the 70s, and after them, then you know when uh, the jihadis after that, all of them they draw from this basic idea that the meaning of the kalima, the most special meaning of the kalima, the essence of Islam, as they claim, is there is no hakim and there is no sulta, meaning no authority besides Allah. And then on the basis of this wrong idea, they began to misrepresent. The message of the prophets. They began to say that the prophets came to basically initiate revolutions. To remove the tyrants. To smash their thrones. Because they wanted to... Because Islam is essentially political authority. That's all it is. Right? It's not to do... You know, it's not about uh, worship and things of that nature. It's essentially to do with political authority. If there is no political authority, there is no Islam. There is no Islamic society. This is the general idea they put across. And you can see clearly the link between this and the takfiri, jihadi, revolutionary ideology, which then obviously goes further and goes into the terrorist, you know, the extremist terrorist uh, methodology. So this is another incorrect explanation of Tawheed. This is not, what the, this is not the Tawheed of the messengers, the prophets and the messengers. That was the sixth one. Uh, the seventh one is the Tawheed of the grave worshippers. And these are the people that we are really dealing with in this treatise or in the second half of this treatise. And they're the ones who say that as long as you believe Allah is the provider, the creator, the sustainer. So they believe in Tawheed al-Rububiyyah. They say it doesn't matter after that. You can call upon the dead. You can supplicate to them. You can ask them for rescue. You can ask them to bestow you children. You can ask them for deliverance in times of hardship, all of this will not affect your belief. You will remain a Muslim. Because as long as you do not believe that there is another creator, another provider, another sustainer, another one who controls life and death, then you have not committed shirk. Right? So as long, so as, long as you maintain this belief, so this, as we explained in the previous lessons, is false. Because the people to whom the messenger Muhammad was sent, 
they clearly believe that only Allah is the creator, provider, sustainer, giver of life, taker of life, the one who benefits, the one who harms, the one who guides, the one who misguides. All of this, they did not deny this at all. And this is established in many ayat of the Qur'an. So this is not what the messengers came to call to. Rather, what they came to call to was the, the eighth, the understanding of Tawheed, which is to make your worship only for Allah alone. To make your dua, your supplication, your prayer, your sacrifice, your istighatha, your isti'ana, when you seek aid, when you seek rescue, when you make tawakkul, when you love, fear, hope, all these actions of worship which are in the heart and which are actions of the limbs, you make them and direct them only to Allah. This is what the prophets and messengers, they came to call to. So, this is what we discussed in the bulk of the previous lesson. This is just like a summary of the previous lesson. So we're going to continue now into the really what is the second half of the treaties. So in the first half of the treaties, we established the meaning of the kalima. What is the ma'na of la ilaha illallah? We established what is the muqtada. What is the... What are the requirements of this kalima? When you say this kalima, la ilaha illallah, and you understand the meaning, you express it with, with that meaning. This now has implications upon you. It has requirements upon you. And we discussed that as well. Thirdly, we also discussed what are the pillars, the arkan of this kalima. And we said there are two pillars, the, the affirmation and the negation. And fourthly, we discussed the conditions. What are the conditions of La ilaha illallah? When you make this statement, there are conditions attached to it. Just like when you have a key, if the key does not have any teeth, it will not open the lock. And this is the same with the kalima. The kalima, it has conditions. Without those conditions, it will not enter you into paradise. And we mentioned those seven, seven conditions, uh, knowledge, certainty, acceptance, uh, compliance, and so on and so forth. We mentioned those seven conditions and we dis discussed them as well. So now that we are clear, and then we also mentioned in the previous lesson the different false understandings of Tawheed. So this now comes, once we understand what the messengers call to, we now come to address how this kalima was violated and opposed in the contemporary times or in the past few hundred years. Uh, years in the past few centuries. So at this point, the Sheikh says, "Fa'lam an hadhihi al-uluhiya hi al-lati tusmiha al-ama fi zamanina al-sir wal-walaya wal-ilah ma'nahu al-wali al-ladhi fihi al-sir wa huwa al-ladhi yusmunahu al-fakir wa-sheikh." So the Sheikh goes on to say, "Remember, we've now established the meaning of the kalima. It is." To establish uluhiyyah only for Allah. Uluhiyyah meaning the one who deserves to be worshipped. The one who deserves your love and your fear and your hope and your prayer and your sacrifice and your bowing and your prostrating and your tawakkul and your isti'ana, seeking aid, istighatha, seeking rescue. Only Allah, this is the meaning of uluhiyyah. Uluhiyyah the one who is deserving of all forms and types of worship. Right? So, this uluhiyya is, 
what, what we found is in the time that the Sheikh wrote this book, or he wrote this treatise, is that the people began to use certain names and labels. Asir, Al-Walaya. Meaning, Asir meaning really the kind of like a secret. Al-Walaya meaning like the loyalty. And they began to attach this to certain righteous individuals, righteous people. That this person has loyalty attached to him. This person, there is a secret about him. Right? And this person, they would use other names and labels. Al-Faqir. You know, the uh, Al-Faqir, meaning the one who is poverty and in need, but who is righteous. And a sheikh the sheikh And, you know, the common people would refer to him as a Sayyid. A Sayyid, the, 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 the chief. What is the idea behind all of this? What, what, what is it that they're trying to, to say? What they're trying to say, as the Shaykh goes on to explain, وَذَلِكَ أَنَّهُمْ يَظُنُّونَ أَنَّ اللَّهَ جَعَلَ لِخَوَاسِ الْخَلْقِ إِنَّهُ مَنْزِلَةً يَرْضَى أَنْ يَلْتَجِئَ الْإِنسَانُ إِلَيْهِمْ وَيَرْجُوهُمْ وَيَسْتَغِيثُ بِهِمْ وَيَجْعَلُهُمْ وَاسِطَةً بَيْنَهُ وَبِينَ اللَّهِ So what do they actually mean behind all of this? What they mean is, that there are certain unique, special individuals in the creation. And these people have a certain status and a level. And this level that they have with Allah, this position they have with Allah is such that it makes them deserving that a man, he hopes in them, that he asks them for rescue, that he supplicates to them, and he makes them an intermediary between himself and Allah Azza wa Jal. Right? So these people whom they, whom they put in that position, the intermediaries, this is where they have these names for them. Al-Wali, Al-Wasita, Al-Sir, Al-Walaya, Al-Sayyid. These are all different la- names and labels that they use to refer to such individuals, which are between them and between Allah Azza wa Jal. And so the Shaykh here, Shaykh Al-Fuzan, he comments and he says, that you see for example amongst the Sufis, they have, they have the Shaykh and the Murid. The Shaykh and the Murid. So the Shaykh is the one who leads them in the Tariqah, and the Murid is the one who has to submit himself. And they have a, they have a phrase, they say, uh, you know, they, they say that be be in front of your sheikh like the mayyit, like the one who is dead, in front of the one who is giving him ghusl. Right? So in other words, that these people whom they describe as al-wali, al-sayyid, fihi sir, indahu walaya, Right, this person, he, he has loyalty, he has a position, he has a status, he is a chief, he is a, a wali, whatever. What they believe about them is that because of their position with Allah, the average person has to be towards them like a dead body is to the one who is washing it. Meaning in complete, total submission. With no will or choice except to just lie and just, you know, right? This is how you ought to be with these people. And so, so, uh, 
so so basically you submit all of your affairs to this sheikh this wali and this whatever else and you have no route to Allah there is no way for you to reach Allah except by way of this intermediary except by way of this uh, individual and so this is what they mean this is what they mean and uh, they believe that these intermediaries that uh, you know that they are to be um, called upon that they are besought for rescue and so on and so forth and now as the sheikh will go on to explain that what's happened here between the very first people and these later people is just that they've changed the labels the labels have changed but the essence is still the same. So when we go to the people to whom the messenger was sent, as the Sheikh says, فَالَّذِينَ يَزْعَمْ أَهْلُ الشِّرْكِ فِي زَمَانِنَا أَنَّهُمْ وَسَائِطَهُمْ هُمُ الَّذِينَ يُسَمِّيهِمُ الْأَوَّلُونَ الْآلِهَةِ وَالْوَاسِطَةِ هُوَ الْإِلَاهِ so, so basically what he's saying here, the Sheikh, is that what's happened is that if you look at the very first people to whom the messenger was sent, they were very clear and very open. They would say, our gods, our aliha. They would say this very clearly. They would say about the messenger, When the messenger came and he said to them, do not worship these deities. Don't worship all these different gods. Worship only Allah Azawajal. Right? They knew what it meant. And they knew that those that they were worshipping were aliha were deities. They clearly referred to them as deities, aliha. Right? So they were very clear and very open about what they were doing. They understood. But what's happened is, the later ones, is they've simply just changed the label. But the meaning is the same. So when they say, al-wali, they say al-faqir, they say al-sheikh, they say, you know, all of these different labels and titles, al-qutub, the, 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 the pole, you know, Al-Ghayf, and so Al-Ghawth, or whatever, Al-Ghawth, sorry. And so they use all these different labels and titles, it is the same thing. It is an ilah. It is something to whom they are directing worship, but the name has now changed, but the essence is still the same. So, what they say, as, as we said, they no, no longer refer to them as aliha, or shuraka, Deities, partners, they no longer, no longer use those same labels. Rather they use these other labels. Shufa'a, Shafi'a, Wali, Sayyid, as we said. Right, so the terminology is different, but the essence is exactly the same. So, the general idea that they have is that because these people are special because they have a status, because they have a position, because they reach such a level of piety, then they are special people. They have been designated by Allah as people to whom His creation must, they must entertain them, they must please them, they must ask by way of them, they must uh, refer their needs to them, right? And they understood that Allah's creation it works in the same way as we see amongst the people, right? So you have, for example, the kings, then you have their ministers, then you have the common people, right? The common people, 
when they want to raise their need, when they have a need in, in you know, to do with money, to do with wealth, to do with safety, to do with security, to do with provision, then they don't, they're, not, they're not able to enter upon the king directly. Right? They go to a minister. They go, they go to a minister, they say, you know, these are the affairs that we need dealing with. Can you go and raise them and take them to, you know, uh, to the king, to the king's court or whatever? So then they go to these people in the middle and those people in the middle act as an intermediary. They then raise the affairs to, you know, to, to the kings and those with power and authority. So this is what we see upon the earth. This is how the kings of the earth, this is how it works. So they wrongly understood that Allah is with his creation in exactly the same way. And this is a false analogy. This analogy is nowhere to be found in the Quran, nowhere to be found in the Sunnah. This understanding of Allah's creation is nowhere to be found in the texts. Rather the Quran came to invalidate this very understanding. So this is the general idea that they believed. And this is what is mentioned in the statement of Allah Azza wa Jal as Shaykh Fawzan quotes this ayah. وَيَعْبُدُونَ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ مَا لَا يَضُرُّهُمْ وَلَا يَنْفَعُهُمْ وَيَقُولُونَ هَؤُلَاءِ شُفَعَاؤُنَا عِنْدَ اللَّهِ they worship besides Allah that which can neither harm them nor can it benefit them. And then they say, these are our interceders with Allah. These are the ones who take our affairs to Allah, who ask Allah on our behalf. So you see the general picture now. The general picture is that that which the very first people used to do, of worshipping others besides Allah, making dua to them, making istighatha to them, seeking rescue, and all the other deeds of worship, whether it be idols, whether it be the jinn, whether it be the angels, whether it be trees, whether it be stones, whether it be the prophets, whether it be, no matter what it is, the sun or the moon, all of these are different deities. Right? The focus is not upon what deity it is, the focus is upon the fact that you are directing worship to other than Allah, no matter what that might be. Whether it's the sun, the moon, the stars, the trees, the stones, the prophets, the angels, the jinn, all that's irrelevant. What is relevant is that you are directing worship that belongs only to Allah, to something besides Allah. And so, once we understand all of this, we will be able to see clearly now, that what the very first people were very open about, they would say clearly that these are our these are our aliha, these are our deities. They would clearly say they understood the meaning of ilah, what it meant. They knew. And that's why when the messenger came and called them to La ilaha illallah, they immediately understood what the messenger was calling them to. That's why they showed enmity to him. That's why they rejected his message. Because they knew it was an invalidation of their religion. But what we see the people, what, what they fell into, what, what they fall into today, it is exactly the same thing. But they don't use the word ilah. They don't use the word aliha. They use other words which are the same in essence. Right? But to disguise the reality. But this is why we have now uh, the faqir, the Sheikh, the Wali, the Sayyid, the Ghawth, the Qutb, and all these different labels and titles. It's exactly the same thing. 
So uh, the point being then is that the first mushrikun, as Sheikh Fawzan says, when the messenger said, say la ilaha illallah, they understood it means that we have to abandon worshipping all these other deities. Right, these deities which used to be in the Kaaba, and the Ka- the Makkah used to be a central trade location, right? So these people, what the, what's going through their minds is, they understood clearly what it meant. It meant that if they singled out Allah in worship, then their trade would disappear, right? The fact that they were the keepers of the Kaaba, which is a very honorable. Station amongst the the Arabs that you, for you for your tribe to be the ones who are the keepers of the Kaaba, right? This was an honor, a sign of honor and nobility that this would then disappear, right? All these affairs would would disappear. So they knew the implication of La ilaha illallah. So when the messenger said that to them, they said Ajal al Aliha ilahan wahida. Has he has he made all of the, the different gods that we are worshiping? Has he just made them all into just sing one single deity, one single God? And so they rejected this message and they began to say to the people, Animshu wasbiru ala alihatikum. They began to say, look, just ignore this man, continue, carry on, have patience upon your gods, keep worshipping them, just ignore this man and carry on. And likewise, they said, as in the case of Nuh alayhi salam, the same thing, waqalu. لا تذرن آلهتكم. The same thing happened in the time of Nuh. Those people of Nuh who were worshiping dead men, Wad, Su'a, Yahuth, Ya'uq, Nasr. All these are righteous men. They were righteous men. They passed away, and then Shaitan came to them and said, "Look, why don't you just spend time around their graves and remind yourself of their righteousness and piety?" So they began to do that. Then after a while, he said, "Why don't you make, you know, representations?" In your homes and put them on your mantelpieces and remind yourself of the piety of these people. And so they did that. Then some generations passed, and then, you know, uh, the, the next generations came, and, and Shaitan said, "Well, you know, your ancestors they used to worship these things, these idols. Used to use them as a means to get close to Allah. And so this is how shirk came step by step. So when Nuh came and he said to them, "Worship only Allah," they said the same thing. They said, "Do not abandon your gods. Do not abandon Wad and Suar and Yaguth and Yauq and Nasr." And so we see that uh, the general picture is always the same. It is that you put between yourself and Allah intermediaries, and you believe that you're, uh, you're reaching Allah. And communicating with Allah can only be through these people, and you have to please those people, satisfy them, give them devotion, and that this is from respecting these people, and you know, and so on and so forth, from all of the other various uh, justifications. So, as the Sheikh says, um, he says, "Wal mutaakhirun, the later ones, al-ladina yad'oon al-Islam, yad'oon al-Islam, those who claim Islam." Sammuhum wasa'it wa shufa'a. So the label is intermediary. Wasa'it. Intermediaries. Or shufa'a. Interceders. But they didn't call them aliha. Like the early ones did. But the meaning is the one and the same. Wal-ma'na wahid. Wa in ikhtalaf al-lafz. Even if the wording differs. 
لأن العبرة بالحقائق وليست العبرة بالألفاظ والمصطلحات because what we look at are, is, is the realities not just not just the labels we can you know we can uh, put a label on this bottle of water and say that this is this is wine grape wine that wouldn't change the reality that this is still water likewise we could put a label on a bottle of wine and call it water or apple juice or grape juice it wouldn't change the reality or we could disguise riba usury interest we could put some clever labels and package it with some clever labels it wouldn't change the fact that this is riba right or you know fornication you could put uh, a clever label on 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 fornication you know describe it with some uh, flashy you know uh, labels or some you know watered down labels it wouldn't change the fact that it is fornication or adultery right so so labels do not change the realities so we look at the reality of these people and the reality of those who have passed we see that these realities are exactly the same so the sheikh then goes on to expound upon this expand upon this a bit further and he says that when you say la ilaha illallah it is an invalidation of all of these intermediaries right you are basically denying and rejecting that there is between you and allah any intermediary rather you were saying that my connection with allah is direct it is one to one and i do not need any intermediaries in my relationship with allah azza wa jal i make dua to him directly he answers my dua my reliance is upon him directly my when i when i fall into a calamity or a hardship i will call upon allah directly because he is the one in whose hand is power and control over benefit and harm and life and death and sustenance and guidance and misguidance because that is you know all all in, in under his control so i will call upon him only so when you say la ilaha illallah it is a, an ibtal invalidation and nullification of there being anything between you and allah this is the base this is the clear message uh, that 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 is comprised within this statement so then the sheikh was on to explain that if you want to now understand this even further if you want this understanding to be made clear to even further then it will be explained by the following two points the following two points will elaborate this uh, for you and make it very very clear to you so he says the first point the first point that will elaborate this and explain this in more detail or make the matter clear to you is that when you think and reflect upon those disbelievers or unbelievers whose aggression and violence the messenger repelled if you think about those people meaning those whom the messenger he fought against those whom he fought against because they fought him right so those whose violence and aggression and war whom he repelled and countered when you look at those people and why he fought against them why he repelled them and 
what were they upon? What were their beliefs? You will see that he says, كانوا مقرين لله سبحانه وتعالى سبحانه بتوحيد الربوبية that those people whom he fought against, they already believed and accepted and affirmed that Allah is the Lord, that there is no one who creates, no one who provides, no one who gives life, no one who takes life, no one who regulates and controls all of the affairs, except for Allah alone. And the proofs for this are very many in the Qur'an. From them, we mentioned them in the previous lessons, from them is the statement of Allah Azza قُلْ مَنْ يَرْزُقُكُمْ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ وَالْأَرْضِ أَمَّا يَمْلِكُ السَّمْعُ وَالْأَبْصَارِ وَمَنْ يُخْرِجُ الْحَيَّ مِنَ الْمَيِّتِ وَيُخْرِجُ الْمَيِّتِ مِنَ الْحَيِّ وَمَنْ يُدَبِّرُ الْأَمْرَ فَسَيَقُولُونَ اللَّهِ Say, who provides you from the heaven and the earth? Who controls the faculties of hearing and seeing? Who takes out the living from the dead and the dead from the living? Who controls all of the affairs? This is the messenger Muhammad saying this to the pagans, the polytheists. فَسَيَقُولُونَ اللَّهِ They will soon say Allah. Allah is the one who does all of this. So this now is very clear that the fight between the polytheists and the messenger was not about belief in a creator. It wasn't about belief in who provides, who gives life, who takes life, who sustains, who... This, this wasn't the fight. This was not the battle. This is explicit proof in the Qur'an that this was not the fight or the battle. And so the shaykh goes on to elaborate this a bit further in the sentences that follow. He simply says that these people, then when you look at these people, the polytheists, we see that they were a people, وَكَانُوا أَيْدًا يَتَصَدَّقُونَ They would give charity. They would uh, make pilgrimage. They would make umrah. They would perform acts of worship. They would even abandon sinful deeds out of fear of Allah. Right? So these polytheists, the mushriks of Mecca, they believe that Allah is the creator, provider, sustainer, giver of life, taker of life. The one who guides, misguides, you know. And on top of that, they would make hajj. They would make umrah. They would give charity. They would feed water to the pilgrims. They would, uh, you know, do various acts of devotion to Allah. They would even abandon sinful deeds. Sinful deeds or those things which they still held to be haram. Out of the fear of Allah. Meaning that they had some worship of Allah. They had some... You know, what appeared to be apparent piety of Allah, and that they abandoned sinful evil, some sinful evil, evil deeds. Alongside all of this, their belief that there is only one creator, one provider, one sustainer, this did not enter them into Islam. This did not enter them into Islam. So this is the first point the Shaykh says that will help you to understand this reality that we are pointing to. About the meaning of the kalima. The second point he then says is that if the Rububiyyah didn't enter them into Islam, this didn't enter them into Islam, obviously, they affirmed Rububiyyah, right? That didn't enter them into Islam. So, what was the reason then that the Messenger fought them when they fought him? When they tried to 
counter his message and kill him and assassinate him and kill his companions, when he repelled their aggression and repelled their violence, what was the thing that they were fighting about? And the issue was then that they did not witness for Allah Tawheed al-Uluhiyyah. That they did not believe that Allah should be worshipped alone, or they didn't accept. Right? They might have even they might have even believed and said, Yes, we believe Allah has the right to be worshipped, but we're not going to do that because we've got too much to lose. Right? Our status will go, our wealth will go. Right? So they didn't they didn't uh, uh, abide and accept uh, in, in worshipping Allah alone. And so this Tawheed al-Uluhiyyah is that no one is called upon, no one is hoped in, no one is sought for rescue, no one, you don't uh, sacrifice to anyone other than Allah, you don't make an oath to anyone other than Allah, not to an angel, not to the greatest of angels, Jibreel, not to the greatest of messengers, which is Muhammad Wasallam, and so on and so forth. Right, so they did not do this. They did not affirm this. They did not. They did not. Did not act upon this, and so this is what made them to be. You know, this is the point of dispute, and this is the basis upon which the battles uh, took place. So it. So this is the nature of their disbelief. Right, this is the nature of their disbelief that they did not single out Allah Azza wa Jal with all these forms and types of worship, but rather they believed in intermediaries that they gave certain labels and titles, as we said. Qutb, Faqir, Sheikh, Sayyid, Wali, Ghawf. All different labels, but really what the meaning of these labels is ilah. This is what they mean. That they are calling upon these deities, they are worshipping these deities, they are going to them and re- asking them for rescue, istighatha, isti'ana, right? This is what the reality of the situation is. And the reason why they do that and why they say this is because they want intercession. They want these deities to intercede with Allah on their behalf, right? So the whole thing centers around al-wasa'iq, wasa'iq and al-shufa'a. Intermediaries and interceders. This is the crux of the issue, right? So at this point, what we'll do, uh, we 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 will probably finish, inshallah ta'ala, this treatise in the next lesson, uh, and the Sheikh then goes on to elaborate further on this issue of intercession. But what I want to do is there are some highly relevant statements, or there's a highly relevant statement of Ibn Al Qayyim, rahimahullah. In, in relation to this topic. And basically, he is explaining an ayah in the Qur'an, which is one of those ayat in the Qur'an, that if you understand this ayah, you will, you will really understand, uh, you know, what, one of, you, you will grasp uh, the issue of Tawheed. Right? There are certain important ayat in the Qur'an that you simply must understand. And they, they, because they contain the traces and the roots of shirk. And one of those amazing verses in the Quran, Ibn al-Qayyim, he actually gives an explanation of this ayah in his book, Madarij as-Salikin. And it is highly relevant to the topic that we are engaged in. So, the point which we have reached in our, in our lessons is that we've come now to this issue of 
Al-Wasa'it and Al-Shufa'a, interceders, right? So these deities that you see people are worshipping today, they express the kalima La ilaha illallah, but at the same time they are calling upon Sheikh so-and-so and, you know, making, uh, seeking rescue from Sheikh so-and-so and whatever else. Right? These are, these are their shufa'a. They, they claim that these are their interceders. To understand this, what is going on, there's two ayat in Surah As-Saba, the 34th Surah, verse 22 and 23. And in these two ayat, Allah Azawajal, I will mention the ayat to you first. He says, Allah Azawajal, he says, say, meaning O Muhammad, say, call upon those whom you claim besides Allah. Call upon them. Meaning, those deities whom you are claiming besides Allah. Call upon them. Call upon them. لَا يَمْلِكُونَ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَلَا فِي الْأَرْضِ So what Allah Azzawajal, He does, He makes four negations. He makes four negations. And these four negations are in a stepwise fashion. The first negation he says that they do not own even an atom's weight in the heavens nor the earth. Then he says وَمَا لَهُمْ فِيهِمَا مِنْ شِرْكِ Nor do they have any share in them both. At the second level. Then he goes, the third level, uh, وَمَا لَهُ وَمَا لَهُ مِنْهُمْ مِنْ ظَهِيرٌ And Allah does not have from them any aider or helper. And then in the next ayah he says, وَلَا تَنْفَعُ الشَّفَاعَةُ عِنْدَهُ إِلَّا, إلا uh, لِمَنْ أَذِنَ لَهُ And nor does intercession benefit with him except for the one to whom he has given permission. Right. Now, so Ibn al-Qayyim, he says, yeah, his explanation of this uh, statement here, what is the importance of this verse? The importance of this verse is that if you were to take any type of shirk in the whole of the world, no matter who it is or where it is, no matter in which century or civilization or nation it is to be found, right? Across the entire globe. And if you were to then go and analyze the justification behind that shirk, as in what is it that is leading these people to commit the shirk? What, what underlying argument, what underlying belief is there there is causing them to worship these idols or these or the sun or the moon or the you know the, the, the trees or the stones or the angels or the jinn or the righteous people or the what what's the underlying justification? You will find that that, that, that all of those justifications will come only to four things. In other words, that all of the roots, the avenues to shirk are only four in number. They are only four in number. Right? And those four 
are all mentioned in this ayah. They're all comprised in this ayah. Ibn al-Qayyim says, he says, thus, the mushrik, the one who worships others besides Allah, he takes something as his object of worship on account of what he believes about that object will lead him to bring, will basically bring some benefit to him. Right? No one worships anything unless he believes that this thing is going to bring some benefit to me. This makes sense, right? Otherwise, why, why does a person, you know, uh, worship things? Otherwise, he would be mad. If he, if he didn't believe that okay, this thing that I have in my hand, or this cross, or this you know, stone, or this tree, or this man, or this tomb, unless he believed that there's some benefit going to come to him, he wouldn't be worshipping this thing, right? So all of it comes down to benefit. Right? So this is the key word now. Benefit. An-nafa. Right? No one worshipped unless he believed that there was some benefit. Now, if you think about this concept of benefit, an-nafa, how can someone bring about a benefit? What are the ways and means through which a person can bring benefit? And there are only four ways that a person can bring benefit to another. Right? So either you are the owner, complete owner of something, right? Either you own something. So for example, let's say I own, um, let's say I, I, I own a fruit farm. I am the owner of the fruit farm, right? I have the ability now to take fruit from my farm, of which I am the owner. And I can go and give it to someone and benefit that person, Right? This is complete ownership, right? This is complete ownership. So in the first part of this ayah, Allah he negated from anyone besides him that they have ownership in the heavens and the earth. Right? So he said, لا يملكون مثقال ذرة في السماوات ولا في الأرض That they do not own even an atom's weight in the heavens and the earth. So if ownership is negated, then the ability to benefit is also negated, right? The benefit, the nafa has now gone. And so therefore the justification for worshipping is also gone. That makes sense? Right? So that asal of shirk has been cut off. Then in the next part of the ayah he says, وَمَا لَهُمْ فِيهِمَا مِنْ شِرْكِ So after negating complete ownership of anything Allah then he denied partial ownership because you don't have to be a complete owner you can have partial ownership so for example in the analogy which I gave earlier on maybe I am not the complete owner of this fruit farm right there are apple trees there are orange trees there are pear trees there are you know raspberry bushes there are whatever else okay maybe I'm not the complete owner maybe I'm just a partial owner I own 50%, I own 40%, I own 30%, right? My ownership still allows me to bring benefit because I own something from it. So I can take something from it and give it to someone else, right? That still puts me in a position of one who is able to benefit. So now in the second part of this ayah, Allah Zawajal, He now negated this possibility, right? That, the, that Allah Zawajal, not only does anyone besides Him own anything completely 
right? So no one owns even an atom's wave completely. Not only that, they do not even partially own even an atom's worth, right? So there's no partial ownership either, right? So this now removes the ability to benefit, right? And because a person worships something because he believes that it will benefit him, then that asal has now been cut off. Is that understood? That asal has now been cut off. So two roots have now been cut off. Then he says, after this, وَمَا لَهُ وَمَا لَهُ مِنْهُمْ مِنْ ظَهِيرٌ That Allah does not have amongst any of these deities which are worshipped. None of them are an aider and a helper and a supporter to Allah. Right? This now is the third level. Let's go back to my analogy. That, okay, maybe I am not the complete owner of this fruit, the fruit fields and the farms. Maybe I'm not a partial owner, but I could be someone who actually helps and assists in the maintenance and in the upkeep and in, you know, so I, I work on the farm, I, uh, I aid the owners and I support them in, in doing their job, right? So, I'm, I'm, so I have some role in the running of, the, of, of this farm, right? So that's another reason why someone may come to me to attain some benefit because I'm involved in the running of this thing at least. Even though I'm not the owner, I am not the uh, partial owner, right? But I have some involvement and I'm aiding and supporting the owners. They rely upon me. I support them. So I have some say now. I have some, you know, someone might come to me. This level as well has been negated by Allah because He said, "Wama lahu minhum min zahir," that in His creation Allah has no helpers, no aiders. And this is another reason why you might go to someone because you believe He can benefit you. Allah does not have any aiders, right? There is no like what the Rafidah you see the Rafidah Shia. They believe. Unlike likewise, many of the Sufis, they believe that Allah has aiders and helpers who aid Him in His creation. Right? They have power over His creation. Right? And they are able to influence things in His creation. All of this is negated. This is cut off. This is another level, another route, or another justification as to why someone might be worshipping or calling upon or, you know, something or someone besides Allah Azawajal. Right? That this person or this thing is an aid and helper. So the angels do not aid or help. Right? Rather they just simply are given tasks that Allah informs them to. You know, it's not as if they are aiding or helping Allah Azawajal. It's not from that angle. Right? Rather Allah has created them and given them tasks to do. Right? Allah governs His creation through them and by them. But it's not from the angle that yes, they are somehow helping and supporting and aiding Allah. No, it's not like that. Right? This is negated. Likewise, no messenger aids and supports Allah in his running of his creation. They don't have a say, they don't have, you know. So this now is cut off as well. Right? So benefit from this angle, that is cut off as well. And then we come to the fourth and the final one. Right? So remember, they are going in reverse order of uh, misguidance and seriousness. 
right? So obviously, the worst one is to believe that yes, anyone owns or there is someone who is a creator alongside Allah or owns something lost Allah. Most people won't, won't be believing in that. Very few of the people who believe in that. That's the gravest, most serious, and the, the, the one that's known to be the greatest falsehood, right? So they're in reverse order. Uh, from the very clear to the very to something which is less clear. So now we've removed the third root of asal of shirk. Then we come to the fourth, right? So he is not an owner, he's not a malik, he's not a sharik. These are the four terms. Either he is a malik, negated, or he is a sharik, partner, sharer, negated, or he is a mu'id. This is the meaning of zahir. Zahir meaning an aider, mu'in. Zahir, an aider. Negated. We come to the final one. So he's not a malik. He's not a sharik. He's not a mu'in. What is he? He is a, he is one who intercedes. Shafi'ah. Right, meaning that this person doesn't own anything. He doesn't share in anything. He doesn't have any uh, it doesn't aid or support in the running, but he's someone who can come and maybe he can intercede on your behalf. He can ask on your behalf. He will, you, you, he will go and say, look, he will go to the Malik, or he will go to the Sharik, and he will argue something on your behalf. He will ask on your behalf, right? So this now is the fourth, the fourth level, the fourth reason or the fourth justification for worshiping others besides Allah, because you believe. This person, he's able to intercede with Allah and able to bring some benefit to you, right? So can you see how in this ayah, as uh, Ibn al-Qayyim, rahimahullah, uh, he says uh, in this passage, I've, I've kind of really summarized uh, this passage, that's the meaning of this passage. You'll find it at the beginning of Madarj uh, al-Salikin in the first volume. And he follows it up finally, he follows it up with another statement which we'll conclude our lesson with and it will lead us to the final session in the next lesson, inshallah ta'ala. He says, so is all of this clear first of all? Yeah. It's very crucial to understand this ayah because this ayah is, is an amazing ayah, right? It gets down to the essence of shirk and what's going through the mind of a person who's committing shirk, Right? He's worshipping other things because he believes there's a benefit that they can bring to him. And that benefit is predicated, is based, is assumed upon one of four things. Every shirk in the world, it comes back down to a person believing or assuming one of these four things. Right? Either that thing he's worshipping is a malik over the benefit he is seeking. Or that thing he's worshipping is a sharik over the benefit which he is seeking. Or it is a mu'een or zahir over that benefit seeking. Or it is a shafi'ah. Right? Crucial to understand this, this thing. So if you understand all of this, you can see now that most people are not going to believe that yes, someone owns something besides Allah. Or shares with Allah in the ownership of that thing. Or he aids and supports and helps Allah in the control of that thing. Right? No one really believes that. Right? So this is why the shirk of most people, the beginning point, the entrance point is this issue of intercession. It starts here. Then it moves up and it gets worse and worse and worse. Right? That's why you see that when you see the start of shirk and you come to the eventual outcome of shirk, 
You see that in the later centuries, you found amongst the extreme Sufis, amongst the extreme Rafida Shia, they began to believe that yes, they are from their, those that they worship, from the, the Imams, or from the, the Awliya, who actually own and regulate part of Allah's creation. Right? It, it moves up to that level. Yes, so it starts with intercession, then it moves to someone being an aider and a helper to Allah, then someone who actually owns part of or shares with Allah and the creation. Right? You will find this when you go and look into the books of the extreme Sufis and the and and and, and the Rafta. In fact, one of them, this man called Ash-Sha'rani, well-known hardcore Sufi, he's written a book on basically it's to do with the 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 the, the awliya and their miracles. And you know, and in one of them, he cites one of them. He says, "I abandoned." I abandoned saying kun for 20 years out of respect for Allah. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying that I abandoned saying kun, meaning kun for yakun, be and it is. That I abandoned, I did not say this for 20 years, only to show adab with Allah Azza wa Jal. Right? This, is, this is a direct translation of a statement directly from, from, from that book, from one of the things that he... Right? So basically, this, this, now, this, this is now believing that this individual is a creator with Allah. Right? And so you can see the justification for shirk, that if a person believes that this person has the creative ability, power and ownership that Allah has, then this is a, the justification of shirk. But no one starts here. No one starts here because it's known to be falsehood. Rather, the entrance point is always what? Ash-Shafa'ah. Shufa'ah. Wasa'it. Right? Someone who is a Shafi'ah. Then he's upgraded to a Mu'een and a Zahir. Then he has a, a Sharika. He is a Sharik with Allah. Then he becomes a Malik. Right? This is how it is. So in this ayah, Allah has cut off all of these things. Now I want to, I want to come to this, to this passage. Uh, which which leads us to. Sorry, why did he say abandon saying kun? Sorry, can you repeat that? Why did he say to abandon saying kun? Because he wanted to show good manners with Allah. As in that he's got the power that Allah Zawajal has. Because Allah Zawajal, he says kun fayakun. Allah says, be and it is, whatever He wills in His creation. Be and it is, right? So if the man is saying that, I, I didn't say it for 20 years because I was being respectful of Allah. I just wanted to show respect to Allah by not competing with Him for those 20 years. Right? So to, so to allow Allah, as if to say, to allow Allah to manifest His greatness and grandeur, out of respect, I just didn't, I didn't say, kun fayakun. For twenty years, this is what this, you know, this is kufr. If, if obviously if it's correctly narrated, we don't know half these stories whether they are true or false, but it's been narrated from some of these people, right? So this this is outright uh, disbelief. Uh, so this is what he means. So yeah, we'll finish with the statement of Ibn Al Qayyim. So he says, "Wa min jahlil mushrik 
from the ignorance of the mushrik, his belief is his belief that the one whom he takes as a wali or a shafi from his ignorance is that so remember we talk, we're talking about the fourth level the en- we'll call it the entrance point this is the entrance point so from the ignorance of the mushrik is that he believes that this person this who's, who he's taken as a wali or a qutub or a sheikh or a faqir or the one who has sir or walaya whatever right he believes that this person can intercede with Allah and, and that he will benefit him with Allah in the same way that you see the kings and their ministers operating in this creation. Right? Meaning that as if, like you see with the kings, the minister can just come, enter upon the king and say, Oh king, your people want such and such. Right, they're asking for such and judge. What does this situation imply? It implies number one that the king's not aware of what is what, what the situation of his people is. Right? He's not all knowing. He has to be informed by his ministers. Number two, these ministers can just come and walk in and present the needs. They don't need necessarily need permission. They just come in and present, you know. So there are certain presumptions about the situation that, that are false as it relates to Allah. And for that reason you see. That as Ibn al-Qaim explains, they believe, these people who believe in the shirk, in the, in the shifa'ah, they believe like, as if it's like how it is with the kings. Right? وَلَمْ يَعْلَمُوا أَنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَشْفَعُ عِنْدَ أَهَدٍ إِنْدَهُ أَهَدٍ يَشْفَعُ إِنْدَهُ أَهَدٍ إِلَّا بِإِذْنِهِ They do not know that Allah Azawajal, no one can intercede with him except after he has given his permission. No one can come, no prophet, no messenger, no one can just come and start making intercession. Rather you need permission from Allah <coughs> first. Why? Because the right of shafa'a belongs only to Allah. Right? Only when he says intercede, can anyone intercede. Right? Whereas the kings of this earth, they cannot do that. Right? So he then says, وَلَا يَعْذَنْ فِي الشَّفَاعَةِ إِلَّا لِمَنْ رَضِيَ قَوْلَهُ وَعَمَلَهُ so not only does he have to give his permission before anyone intercedes, he will only give permission for the one whose speech and action he is pleased with. Right? Not anyone can intercede. Only that person whose statement and action is pleased with, will he allow him then to go and intercede. And then he says, after that, uh, كما قال تعالى mentions the ayat in the Quran من ذا الذي يشفع عنده إلا بإذنه this is proof of the first point that I mentioned who can intercede except with his permission and the proof of the second point is ولا يشفعون إلا لمن يرتضى they will not intercede except for the one with whom he is pleased so permission and pleasure permission and pleasure الإذن والرضا permission and pleasure and then this leads to the third thing, which is what is Allah pleased with? What pleases Allah in speech and action? It says, وَبَقِيَ فَصْلٌ ثَالِثٌ وَهُوَ أَنَّهُ لَا يَرْضَى مِنَ الْقَوْلِ وَالْعَمَلِ إِلَّا التَّوْحِيدِ وَاتِّبَاعِ الرُّسُلِ And Allah is not pleased of any speech and action except tawheed and ittiba. Tawheed and ittiba. That you worship Allah 
and you worship him in accordance with what the messengers brought. That's what he's pleased with. Right? So he says, as these two, uh, these two words, everyone will be asked about them. The first ones and the last ones. As Abu Alia said, two words, the first and the last people will be asked about them. What did you worship? What did you worship? This is Tawheed. And how did you respond to the messengers? This is Ittiba. Right? So this is what Allah Zawjal is pleased with. If he's pleased with this, then he will grant permission for you to intercede. No one will intercede except after Allah has given his permission. This is how intercession works, right? But as for this intercession, which is shirk, then there's a presumption that these awliya, these shufa'a, these, you know, these people, they, they, they can automatically just intercede with Allah Azawajal. Right? As if they have control over shafa'a. So, then he says and finishes by saying, فَهَذِهِ ثَلَاثَةُ فُصُولٍ These three aspects, they cut off the tree of shirk in the heart of everyone who understands them. If you understand these three things, the roots of shirk will be cut off from your heart. لَا شَفَاعَةَ إِلَّا بِإِذْنِهِ The first one. There is no intercession except with his permission. وَلَا يَأْذَنْ and he will not give permission except for the one to whose speech and action he's pleased with. And he's not pleased of, with any speech and action except his tawheed and following the messenger. And following his messenger. To the end of what he said. That's the essence of what, what, what he said. So... Is all of that clear from what we mentioned in this lesson? There's many things we discussed, but if you go back and revise the lesson, there are some very important things for us to understand about the reality of Tawheed. And especially this ayah, you have to memorize this ayah and understand uh, how it relates to the way that shirk begins and then grows in scale and seriousness and the entrance point of shirk and what the rationale behind it is and how the Qur'an has come and invalidated all the routes and avenues towards shirk. And they are four in number as we see in, in this ayah. So with that we conclude our lesson there today. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een.